Good morning. I'm just here to let you know this side wins. At first, you know, when I was looking around, I'm thinking, everybody's sitting on that side. Why isn't anybody sitting on this side? And it's like, <clears throat> I think the reason why you're sitting over here is because Dave's over here. <laughs> but anyway, how many of you have ever been really afraid? I mean, just absolutely frightened. Anybody? Okay, what, what caused it? Was it a, what, what's that? Was it a, did someone say something? <laughs> Was it a scary movie? Yes. Snakes. Yeah. I don't like snakes either. I don't like spiders. I don't like snakes. You know, I think there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> well, I tell you, when I was a kid, I mean, I was a little tyke, like six years old, seven years old. I came home from school one day, and there was no one there. Mom, dad, my brothers, my sister, no one. The doors were all locked. The curtains were all drawn. And as I sat there as a first grader, I thought for sure that my mom and dad had moved away while I was at school. <laughs> as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, that is frightening. That's one of those things that you don't ever forget. See, I hated school at that age because all my brothers and sisters got to stay home and play while I had to go to school. And I really missed out on a lot, you know, I, I, at least I thought I did. And so every single day I tried to figure out a way to get from going to school. I would hide behind the garage and my neighbor would always rat me out. She would say, she would always, she would always call my mom and say, he's back there again. You know, you need to go get him. And, and, and it was like tooth and nail dragging me down to the bus stop. You know, I hated that. And my mom one day was just so fed up with me. She says, one of these days, we're just going to leave you here. And so when I came home that day and no one was here, I thought that that was the day that I was done, that, that my mom and dad had moved away while I was at school. And, and, and so what I did as a six-year-old was I said, well, I know my grandmother hasn't moved. So in my little mind, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to walk to my grandmother's house. Well, my grandmother's house is on this really busy highway going down there. I mean, you should see it now. It's like, it's like a raceway, four-lane highway. It wasn't when I was a kid, though, but it was still pretty bad. And, and my grandmother was like four or five miles away. So I started walking, and I believe it or not, I got halfway there before anybody ever realized that I was missing. <laughs> and so I ended up... Um, my, my mom came home, and, and she thought that I was with Dad, and Dad came home, and he thought that I was with Mom. When they realized that I wasn't there, they said, well, where's Bobby? I don't know. And so they were, they were concerned, so they called my uncle, and he started at my grandmother's house and worked his way back to my house and found me about halfway there. I made it halfway there, two and a half, three miles. And so... I'll never forget that. That was quite, um, 
quite a, an experience as a six-year-old. As an adult, though, there are many things that can scare us. Absolutely. You know, if you, if you, how many of you like scary movies? Yeah. I knew that, I knew that back row would, right there would be, yeah, I knew you guys would like them. I, I really like scary movies as well, but my son, Ethan, cannot stand scary movies. He is such a baby when it comes to scary, he won't, he will not watch them. He won't encourage his wife to watch them. He doesn't, he just doesn't like them. But I will tell you that <clears throat> for me, the scariest time in my adult life, we were getting prepared to go to a soccer game. My sons both played soccer, and they were on the same team for one year. <clears throat> and so Jersey Shore was going to play Bloomsburg, which was our old school system, our new school system playing our old school system. So we were, we were anxious about wanting to go see this game. And so... Sarah had a doctor's appointment, so she went to her doctor's appointment, and I waited and waited and waited, and I'm thinking, okay, if she doesn't make, if she doesn't call, we don't get, you know, she doesn't get out soon, we're not going to be able to go to this game. And then I get the call from Sarah, <clears throat> and I'm, you know, I'm kind of yelling, you got to get, we got to get going, and she says, no, you, you don't understand. And I didn't understand. It took her like four times explaining it that, that I needed to come down to the doctor's office and meet her there. And I still didn't quite get it until we sat down and finally Dr. Branton makes the statement, you have cancer. Sarah had breast cancer. Didn't quite understand until that point that um, things were going to change a little bit. And, you know, you don't expect, I mean, Sarah comes from a lineage that most of their their folks lived to be in their 90s, mid to upper 90s. Um, I think the oldest person in my family up until my Aunt Dorothy was like 79 or 80. So I figured, you know, she's got me beat. You know, she's going to be around a lot longer than I am. Until that day, until that day, you know, I realized that things can change really quick in a person's life. And so, you know, you want to talk about, as far as an adult, those things are pretty sobering and pretty frightening, aren't they? They sure are. But Sarah, you know, that was September of 2008, and she has been cancer-free since then. So praise the Lord. The Lord, the Lord does answer. You know, it has been said that courage is not the absence of fear, but the mastery of it. Absolutely the mastery of it. The Bible, though however, adds an important element to the definition of courage. And today and next week, we're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to, the theme of it is, is fearless, you know, and we're going to be talking about Esther today. We're going to be talking about Stephen next week, but it's the concept of being fearless. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, this is what it says. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. Notice that he goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Lord promises us. You know, Moses <coughs> told the Israelites not to fear the other nations when they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land because God would be with them and God would never, ever forsake them. So how can we have this kind of faith? 
How can we have that kind of faith? How can we step out and how can we confidently make right choices that will affect the courses of our lives? How can we do that? What's what's that going to look like for you when you go back to work tomorrow? Or for you youngins here, how many of you are out of school now for good? Have you graduated? Okay. Not for good. Yeah, not for good. Not, not for good. Just for this summer. Just for this summer. Okay, yeah. So, so what's that going to look like for you when you go back to school in the fall? <clears throat> or when you're playing sports? Or when you're spending time with your friends? Or wherever life leads you? What's that going to look like for you? How can we have that kind of faith? That's, that's an important question for us to ask ourselves. And I think that the answer is not easy. It's not an easy one. But I think for the answer, I want us to consider this young Jewish girl who was from ancient Persia. Her name was Hadessa, but she was known as Esther. I want you to consider her. For you see, in the book of Esther, chapter 1, verses 10 through 22, I'm not going to, she's going to put up there, you can read that, you know, and just go down through there. There's, you know, there's, but I want her to just put that up there for you, but I'm not going to read it, but I want to, it was in the third year of his reign, King Xerxes, who was the king of the Medes and the Persians, had searched for a queen from among the beautiful virgins in his kingdom. And for you that are reading in the Bible with us as you're doing this year-long thing, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you're going to read this story. If you're, if you're staying with us, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm, let me t- take a drink here. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Esther is on, is on our schedule to read. So I'm giving you a preview of what's going to happen. But, so, so there's a search for a new queen among the beautiful virgins in the kingdom. This young lady was going to replace King Vashti, Vashti had humiliated her husband in front of many people, including all of his officials, from what the scripture says. She had refused to allow him to display her beauty before everyone at his special request. (coughs) And so he was angry. I mean, he was absolutely filled with anger because she refused to do this. And so we see there, in, in, in Esther chapter 1, verses 10 through 22, what happened? Well, Esther was a young orphan. She was among the women that the king ordered to be brought to the palace for special pampering and preparation so that the king could pick his new queen. And since Esther's parents had died, her cousin Mordecai was the one who basically raised her as his daughter, as you're going to find out. Mordecai was was a Jewish servant in the king's court and is found sitting at the gate. And so he gives Esther some advice and tells her not to reveal her ethnic background. Don't don't reveal your the fact that you're a Jew. Don't let anybody know that. <clears throat> so the king does not know that she is Jewish. So after Esther is chosen as queen, so this young lady must have been really beautiful because out of all the virgins in the kingdom, King Xerxes chooses her out of all of them. 
So this young lady must have been a, a beautiful woman. And so he, he chooses her, and she, she continues to maintain her contact with Mordecai, even as queen. So sometime later, King Xerxes ends up appointing this man. Anybody know the name of this guy? His name was Haman. Remember that name. He ends up appointing this guy, Haman, to be a prominent man in the kingdom, to offer special, a special office over all the princes. That's what, he was, that's what he was going to be doing. So King Xerxes commanded that each servant should bow down to Haman, paying him homage, meaning paying him honor and respect. But the problem with this is that Mordecai would not do that. Mordecai was a Christian or, or, or a Jew, and he was not going to bow to anyone but God. And so he would not do it. So this enraged Haman um, because of Mordecai's actions. But he wasn't satisfied. Haman wasn't just satisfied. He wasn't satisfied with just trying to destroy Mordecai. He wanted to destroy the whole Jewish kingdom. He wanted to destroy the whole Jewish race. That's what he wanted to do. So what he did, you can see in Esther chapter 3, verse 9, he convinced King Xerxes to issue a decree saying 10,000 talents of silver would go to anyone who would destroy the Jews. That's in Esther chapter 3, verse 9. So in ancient Persia, here's the thing you got to remember. It says, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrator for the royal treasury. And see, in ancient Persia, the interesting thing about this is that when the king made a decree and he sealed it with his insignia ring, not even the king could revoke that decree. Not even he could, could, could revoke it. He could not reverse it. So, so King Xerxes' decree went out, resulting in a great mourning and fasting among the Jews throughout the land, clothed in sackcloth. Does anybody know what sackcloth is? What is it, Jerry? And it's really itchy. It's made of what, like a like a goat's wool or something, or goat's hair, and it's it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Could I see one of those one of these sometime? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That's pretty funny, actually. So, but it was a very uncomfortable garment made of goat's hair, and so Mordecai is out by the gate, the king's gate sitting on this sackcloth and crying loudly. He's mourning. And that's what they did. They, they wailed. And so Mordecai is crying very loudly. And when Esther learned of Mordecai's circumstances, she told her maid to take garments of clothes to him, probably borrow them from Jerry, to take, to take away his sackcloth. But Mordecai would not accept them. He would not accept them. So... Then Esther sends Hathik, 
you know, one of the king's eunuchs to attend to her, who attends to her, to find out what was wrong with Mordecai. And so here's what Mordecai says. Mordecai told him all that had happened and gave him a copy of the written decree to show Esther. Evidently, Esther hadn't seen it yet. He also told him to tell her to go to the king and to plead for the people, for the Jewish people. So Esther had not seen the king in over 30 days. Can you imagine? Sometimes that's the way it went for them. The queen and the king not not seeing each other for 30, 60, 90 days. Some of you might be in heaven because of that. But, but that's a long time. And so the queen had not seen her king in 30 days. And see, here's what's happened with, with this whole situation is the king enforced a law. There's a lot of laws back then. The king enforced this law that anyone who came into the inner court to approach him, whom he had not specifically called to come to see him, would die. They would be killed. However, the king would also make an exception by holding up his golden scepter to spare that person's life. So you see how much power, how much power the king had and, and how much power he had over life and death to his subjects. That's why it was so important when you were king to be a kind person. So Esther sent the eunuch back to Mordecai with the message that she could not enter the court to see the king. I mean, if she did, there's a chance that, that she could die. Mordecai answered this, you know, that, that if she did nothing, you know, she risked death along with all of her countrymen in the kingdom. You know, he, he asked this piercing question of her. He says, what if God had elevated Esther to the position as queen for the specific purpose of helping save her people at this critical time. There's what it says. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back the answer, do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, see that? Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Wow. What a decision for such a young woman to make. Death seemed certain regardless of whatever she decided. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Vasjai had been banished from her position as queen, but it's possible that Esther was thinking that I might just actually be killed as my position as queen. I'd rather be banished, but I might be killed. So she had to answer Mordecai, what should I do? What what, what am I going to do? She must have prayed. I would imagine she must have agonized over her decision, you know, the tension, the anxiety, you know, how many of you agonize over decisions like that? You know, it just consumes you. And it's really frustrating. And, and, and so it must have consumed her. You know, she was sickened with fear for herself and for her people. We're talking serious stuff here. Her whole nation could have been wiped out. Maybe she asked herself a hundred times, 
would God really let her die if she refused to help the Jews? You know, she was very young. You know, some estimate that she was between the ages of 15 and 20. Do we have any 15-year-olds in here? 16-year-olds? 17-year-olds? Okay, we have a 17-year-old over here. 14? Okay. Yeah, okay. Four. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was she was a teenager, really, maybe maybe to her to the age of twenty, but surely God would not let her die. He would not want her to die. On the other hand, you know, could she stand silently by and watch this heartless man, his name was Haman, annihilate her people? Was she going to do that? Why couldn't her dilemma just go away like a bad dream? But it wasn't going to go away. So in the midst of her toil, Esther realized she could not allow fear to paralyze her into inaction. She had to stand fearlessly. That's what she had to do. That in itself would be a decision. So instead, she, she, she left the outcome to God. That's what she did. You know, and it was clear that she only had one choice to make here. She really only had one choice. You know, even in giving Mordecai her answer, Esther knew she, she did not have the courage within herself to face King Xerxes. But she did know where to go for her courage when she lacked it. So what did she do? She began to fast and pray. Fast and pray. You know prayer changes things, don't you? Prayer does change things. So she began to fast pray. Placing her life in God's hands, she let him decide the outcome for her, for her and for her people. I'm going to put it in God's hands. And you know what, folks? Is there any better place to be than in God's hands? No, there isn't. There's no better place to be. So she sent word to Mordecai requesting that he ask their fellow Jews to fast for three days and three nights. She and her maids would do likewise. Then she promised to go before the king, knowing full well that she was risking her life. And this is what it says. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Notice the, notice the fearlessness in this. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day and night, day or night. And I my, and, and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. What a, what a statement. You know, you can read the remainder of the book of Esther to see what happens, and you will if you're, if you're on track for reading through the Bible in a year this week to see what happens in greater detail. But I will tell you, I don't want to spoil, but I'm going to, that the king held out that golden scepter and he spared Esther's life. And when I, when I was reading that part there in the book of Esther, I thought to myself, King Xerxes really, really, really does love her. 
He really did love her. After several special banquets for the, for the king and Haman, Esther finally revealed Haman's plot and made her request to save her people. And the king, King Xerxes, was so furious. And this is kind of, if you don't believe that God has a sense of humor at the expense of someone, he had a sense of humor at the expense of Haman. Because see, Haman was building these this gallows to hang Mordecai on them because he had refused to bow down. And in the end of all this, the king ordered Haman to be hung on the same gallows that Mordecai was going to be hung on. Whoo! That's our God. So, you know, (laughs) then the king issued this new decree. Remember, he can't overturn the last decree that he made. That's, That's set in stone. So he had to issue another decree, and so he issues this new decree. The Jews were free to defend themselves and destroy anyone who would assault them. You know, he promoted Mordecai to Haman's place, and he gave Queen Esther Haman's estate, and the Jewish people were saved. Talk about a hero coming in and saving the day. But you know what's interesting about this whole book? I think there's like 10 or 12 chapters in Esther. What is interesting is that the name of God is completely absent from the pages of the book of Esther. But I'm going to tell you something. God's fingerprints are all over that book. They're all over it. You know, he is there. He is present in every scene, in every event, until he ultimately and finally brings everything into this marvelous conclusion as he proves himself Lord of his people, the Israelites, the Jews. Listen to this. Never let the fact that God is invisible cause you to doubt the fact that God is invincible. Let me read that again. Never let the fact that God is invisible cause you to doubt that God is invincible. He is all-powerful. God's power is on display here, folks. And so I want to share with you several lessons that we can learn from from the book of Esther today that, that I've come up with here. And the first lesson is this is that we need to really be careful who we listen to. You notice that? We need to be really careful who we listen to. Be careful who you allow to have influence over your life. Teenagers, young people, this is especially true for you right now. Because friends influence us. And we need to really be careful. But it's not only for young people because adults need it too. Because look at King Xerxes. King Xerxes listened to and trusted a bad guy in this story. He trusted in Haman. And because he did that, it brought such stress and anxiety and frustration and sadness to a whole nation. You know what? We respect as best we can the people that are in our lives the people that are around us. We need to to be kind and we need to be respectful. 
We love the people that God brings into our lives, you know, the way Jesus loves them. But that doesn't mean that we have them as our inner circle of friends. Choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully. You know, the the one who you listen to and you seek advice from, choose them wisely and carefully. You know, the old saying is this, you become who you hang with. You do. You become who you hang with. Just don't allow anyone to pull you away from Christ and your relationship with him. You know, a lot of times I see this happening where the Christian goes and says, well, I'm going to change that person and they're, you know, but what ends up happening is that person who's not in Christ ends up changing you more than you change them. We need to be really careful of that, not to allow that to happen. The second lesson I want to point out is this. Not only should we choose our friends carefully or um, who we listen to, but this is also, you know, the, this story shows what the impact of what one person who is sold out to God can do. Look at what, look at what, Queen Esther was able to do. One person. God used Esther to save an entire race. Don't ever underestimate the power of one. Edward Hale wrote this. I like what, I like this statement, he says. Edward Hale said this. He says, I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. What a great statement. You know, from from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's hand on the lives of individuals who made history because they did what was right regardless of the outcome. They stood up for God regardless of the outcome. And even today, God is still looking for men and women, boys and girls, who will stand up for his truth. And let me tell you right now, that is desperately needed in this time and day, of in our age right now. It is desperately needed. So this little book of the Bible records that God used one woman who was willing to take a stand. Remember what she said. Remember what she said. She says, if I perish, I perish. Think about that. She, she, she was going to do it regardless. And if she were to die, she would die. That's pretty serious stuff there. So, think about where you live right now. Think about your situation. Think about where you work. Think about where you go to school. Think about where you shop. Let me tell you something, folks. It is no accident that you are where you are. So you need to ask yourself the same question that Mordecai asked Esther. Who knows, but that you, one individual, have come to this position for such a time as this. 
The world needs us to stand up and to speak and to act for God's truth. That's what the world needs. Remember this. Remember this. All it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by man. He also says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and hide it in a bowl. Instead, you put it on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the household. He said, in the same way, you know, let people see your good deeds so that they can praise your Father in heaven. The third lesson I want to share with you is sometimes fear. Sometimes it says the third lesson is that our fear, you know, that fear is our, our normal human reaction when we are faced with what I call seemingly impossible decisions. So whether you are six years old or 16 or 36 or 56 or 76, it doesn't matter. We all face fear. We all get afraid. We all get scared. But you know what? Acknowledging our lack of courage, I believe, is the first step in overcoming it. But we must not allow fear to paralyze us into taking no action at all. We cannot allow that. We must also realize that we can't go it alone. You weren't meant to go it alone. We don't have to. We need to recognize that, that God is all-powerful and that God, the God who created us, has promised us that He will never leave us nor would He forsake us. Notice again what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's the promise that he has given to us. So don't be afraid to stand fearlessly knowing that our God is with us and our, our persecution is, is only moments and it's, it's, God still has us in his hands and ultimately, the outcome is in our favor. So God knows everything about you. And you know how God sees you? Audio Adrenaline wrote a song here just a few years ago called Kings and Queens. And that's the way God sees you. He's, he sees you as a masterpiece. He sees you as kings and queens in his eyes. You are royalty. And God will never give up on creating you to be everything that he wants you to be. Even as an adult, you can change. <gasps> really? <laughs> yes. Even as an adult, you can change. God will make you into what he wants you to be. So give God permission to take control of your life. You're the one that can do that. Let go of the reins. Let him be the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you don't know Jesus or you haven't been obedient in baptism to him, 
He's here. He loves you. He died to pay the penalty for your sin. And we have a baptistry right behind me. So what are you waiting for? Don't let fear paralyze you. Be fearless. Be fearless. After all, who knows, but that you have come to a position for such a time as this. So this morning, we offer that invitation. Whatever you need, if you need to come this morning, we give you that opportunity.